Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we are celebrating the end of the regular school year and looking forward to those long days of summer, in which case you're going to have a wonderful opportunity to explore sunscreen and a pool or a river, depending on where you live, maybe the ocean. And if you're in the southern hemisphere, it's a cold time of year for you. And so you might have a break coming up that's also long, but is more like a winter break. So what we're going to talk about today is looking at unstructured time with weird moving commitments. (laughs) Some of which might be children. Yeah, basically nothing changes in your life if you have a straight-up regular job, so there's right. that. And let, but even if you have kids and they get out of school, you have to deal with pr- right. getting taking care of them in a different way. Absolutely. Putting them in camp or whatever. Yes. But if you're, if you're us and you're sort of work from home, juggle everything all the time, and then your kids suddenly are there too, then yeah. that's the sort of topic, right? Exactly. I want to let our loyal listeners know that we have several exciting interviews coming up soon. So if you're Stay tuned for missing that. the interview portion of the podcast, it's returning in a dazzling way. Have you heard the phrase under promise and over deliver? <laughs> All right. What are you working on, Angie Powers? Well, we're getting ready to do that experiment, so I'm actually spending you some time. You have to clarify in case people haven't listened Still doing to every the filming. single. Sorry. That's true. So I'm working on a film experiment where I'm going to work with some actors during the week prior uh, to shooting a feature film in the span of 24 hours. Are you going to shoot like all night long? Yeah, that's the plan. So part of it is about like getting super exhausted and losing your inhibitions and... No. No, no. But that will be a side effect. It probably will be. Like it will get... Perhaps a little... What if um, you want to do like two 12-hour days instead of one 24-hour day? No, I want to do one 24-hour day. Do you? I do. Hmm. And the reason I do is because uh, there is... You know, it's interesting because when it's nighttime, for the most part, it's dark. (laughs) The insight here. I mean, I just... This is what you can expect from Storymaker Show. If you're new to the show... I want you to take a moment and, and really, really, if you need to rewind, you can, you know, rewind and you think know, it about it. It depends on, of course, Maybe the phase it. of the moon and the, the you know, trajectory of the moon. The light pollution day. also, just light pollution. Well, but, you know, you know yes, light is pollution, but it's kind of consistent. Once it gets mostly dark and the sun has set, then it's kind of consistent. Whereas during the day, like, We really are sensitive to the variations in light. We're really aware of it. And so nighttime tends to be an opportunity to have these moments of consistency that you just won't have at other hours. That said, the camera I have is not a low-light monster. So it's going to be a very interesting experiment. And so... What is a low-light monster? A low-light monster would be... uh, the Sony cameras. Sony's done a tremendous job of creating cameras that are very light sensitive. And so you can go into much darker spaces than you would with 
like the camera I have, which is a GH5. And mm. so they have different size sensors. They have different size photo cells. So, so you're trading natural light for consistent light. Yes. So natural light, your whole, in a way, your whole last experiment was about natural light. Absolutely. And this one is about consistent dark. Yes. Interesting. I'm deep like that. It's, what's interesting is that, you know, uh, film is a visual medium. It's a medium of light. And it's, and so it's not, you know, in that way, it's not surprising, but yet it's somewhat unexpected that you're, that everything you're doing sort of centers initially around something to do with light. Mm-hmm. Almost before story or anything else. Yes. It'll be interesting to see what contrast that produces. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, the other, the other one I really was writing first and foremost for kind of playful creativity. And this one I'm really looking at, here's what's available, here are the constraints. And really, instead of starting with the story, starting with constraints. <laughs> and so to see where that ends up. And to explore. And there are a lot of great models of really cool things. Um, so I just, you know, I think probably the film after this will be exploring diegetic sound. You know, mm-hmm. and, and oh, moving away from light. Yeah. Maybe no. I was, I was suggesting we do kind of a an audio story. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that would be, there would be no light because there would be no visual. It would simply be sound. So I'd say, sit back, relax. Close your eyes. And let us take you, and then we'd have to describe everything. I mean, visual is a sense we appeal to, but we don't have to use. It's a pretty dominant. Um, It is. That said, what are you working on? So I'm revising. I'm actually waiting for some notes. And um, the biggest thing I think I'm working on is kind of nailing down the order of the beginning because there's, you know, there's, and that's always, or that's often, I think, a challenge. You want to start in medias race or whatever, but you also have things you need people to know and how do you deliver it? Is that not how you say that? Oh, no, I was just thinking about, you know, this, how hard beginnings are. Mm-hmm. That's really what I was thinking about, just because beginnings, um, again, are sort of the last thing you should write. Well, and and I would say that that's what I'm doing. (laughs) So, and I think most of the rest of it's working, although the end is somewhat, you know, is quite modified, so we'll see what people have to say about the end. But that's the part I'm, you know, just finalizing. And one of the things, so as I'm thinking about moving pieces around a bit, one of the things that happens is when you move them, you can't just move it. You have to then sort of finesse it. You have to smooth off the edges. You have to look at what leads into what, what's been referenced, all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's actually incredibly complicated. And then when you're like, oh, you know, no, I think it should go back that way. It's just like it's huge to undo it. So I was... kind of like plant roots, right? Right. So you just, you have this plant and it's in one location. There was a whole conversation that was happening at our local store the other day as I was waiting in line to check out. And the checker was talking to this guy who apparently was buying his lunch. And there was a long conversation about the destructive force of redwood roots. And that... Mm, um, I do love when, like, a tree pushes up the sidewalk. So the tree in this area had not only pushed up the sidewalk, but um, gotten down into the city sewer, Mm. ruptured a pipe there. It was just that it had done all... But very slowly, right? It's it's not like it's a thing that happens quickly. And... um, so 
I was just thinking about, they can be like a hundred feet long, mm. these red yes. ones. And so, right. So you think, Oh, I'm just going to tug this out, like tug, tug. And then like pretty soon <laughs> it's like, you're still pulling and pulling. Yes. Yeah. So interestingly, I wrote to my developmental editor in the agency who I think is amazing. I've never met her, but you know, and I said, should we discuss this? Should I send you a list of, you know, the whatever, because it's a little bit hard to, to sort of do and undo. And she said, she wrote back beautifully, and she said that she felt like she um, she didn't like to sort of offer critique to, in, mm-hmm. to an outline, and she was very articulate about it, and I'm not remembering it as per, well, but, you know, part of it is, of course, it ruins the suspense when you then go to read, if you know what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a level of just staying fresh for the read. But also, and I think this we've noticed this, like it can be something can really work on the page that sounds wrong abstractly because you're sort of, there's the analytical response and there's the kind of reader response. And I, and I know that you have, you know, we've obviously have, have utilized the analytical response to an outline. I mean, mm-hmm. we've u- re- utilized it extensively in our own work and we've it in our teaching. So I'm curious what you think, but I think you, you've also had the experience of thinking about something with some concern about how it sounded in outline form and then finding that it works on the page. Well, it's interesting because, you know, um, there's this phrase in screenwriting about something being execution dependent. Mm-hmm. So you can see something that in the outline will... Maybe 90% of writers can't actually pull it off. Mm. And so you would traditionally encourage people not to do whatever that is. 10% of the writers can. So it's execution dependent. And that is not the kind of thing that um, people necessarily want to invest in. <laughs> right? Um, because it's hard to tell in, if you don't know a writer. Or... Well, if yeah. I mean, but anybody, right? Like if, you're, if you don't know a writer well enough, if you don't have a sense of their history, of their capacities, their skills, then... You know, but even so, like, it's, it's, I think there are ways to do outlines where you carry through the things that matter regarding, like, emotional state. So I think that's kind of one of the things that mm-hmm. might make something not look like it would work. And it might just be that you didn't really carry through emotional information through your outline. I do think you have a kind of an art of the outline that you do really encourage people to do. I mean, to really be, you know, exploratory and brainstorming and create, you know, kind of to have this element of creativity in it, that it is in, in its way a draft. Mm-hmm. And actually, we talked last time about Lauren Groff's kind of, you know, she, what she calls a draft might be on big paper, might be on index cards. I wonder if we might even encourage people in Book in a Year to think of it as a draft and to do kind of... Um, more or less amounts of sort of brainstorming and, and sketches and you right. know, kind of just like a folder of stuff. And then out of that, say, okay, we want you to pick a hundred scenes mm-hmm. and, and give them a short, give them a title. Right. So you're working on, but this is, you know, really interesting, I think. But, um, so I'm working on that. Um, I'm working on the beginning and I'm, I'm what I'm, what I'm kind of getting around to is, trusting the sense that I have about it, you know, that mm-hmm. I, that I actually had, a, like when I reread it, I thought, Oh, wait a minute. 
once I get to this point, I want to jump here. I want to get here sooner. And I've been kind of having that feeling. And people are, my readers are saying, well, yes, in this way, but no, you know, this is, and so we have whiny dogs on the, but we have a guest whiny dog today. This is Izzy, the, the, uh, guest whiny, guest whiny dog. Anyway, that's what I'm working on. Fantastic. Yeah. So. Well, as the days extend and until, um, until later this month, right? Right. But even still, like we have this sense, um, if you, it still stays light for a while. Yeah. Right? We, have, we have like music playing in the distance. It's hot as heck. I mean, it feels I like summer. I mean, it's summer. fully a summer moment. It is That's summer. why we're doing the summer podcast. But I think that there is something different. And one of the things that I actually wanted to talk about was was how can you make the most of this time that's maybe more flexible than normal? If it is for you. If it is. And, and, and I think even when you have a regular job and your kids are in camp, it still has a different flavor because when you get home from work, if you get home at 6 and you're, you've picked up your kids on the way home, it's still light for three more hours if you're in the northern hemisphere, right? right? right. So it's different than picking your kids up when it's dark. Yes. Right? So yes. there is a unique uh, extension of the day that happens. That is just driving me crazy, the whining. And so, I mean the dog, not yes. you. Oh. <laughs> oh. So cruel. Cool. All right. So, but Three, I wanted yes. to focus on this idea of whether it's your winter break or your summer break, that there are windows if you have kids or if you don't have kids where you have less structure. Yeah. All right, I got it. So now, what do you do with that? Well, I think that one of the things that I would actually really encourage, we're so focused on productivity. We are just me. I think the world, right? There's this, you know, a lot of focus on a very linear approach to everything. Linear? Yeah, I'm a pro-linear person. I believe in, I really am. (laughs) Mostly because I think that's aspirational for me. But I think that, what it, one my first tip was going to be number one, set realistic expectations for this window. You know what I mean? I feel like this is a personal conversation that we're having. Our kids finished school yesterday, mm-hmm. so tip number one is set realistic expectations. Yeah, great. I love it. I um, mean, I don't. It's not something I like to practice very much, but <laughs> realistic <laughs> expectations. Okay. But I get you. I think it's re- but I think it's a very good strategy. Right. And right. and so what do we mean by realistic? And the and Well, you're going to make a film and I'm going to finish a book. So and perhaps what? those are not realistic <laughs> but expectations. But I think they are though. But you're going to finish a, sh- a film in a, but you're only going to do it for a week. Right. Well, I'm I'm also framing it as an experiment. Right. You're doing right? An experiment. So that I and I've been working on the book for like 4 years and I've written 5 million drafts. So it's not like I'm finishing a book and starting it in the same summer. Mhm. So I I would support having something that you want to get done, but make it something that's not going to be reinforcing of negative feelings that you already have about yourself and your capacities, but instead what would be you know, if you're trying to finish a novel, mm-hmm. right? Um, looking at your summer, like, when do you realistically have time? Right. I was also, I was, I was texting with my friend with whom I text back and forth about our Your texting writing, friend? My texting friend. There should be some, like, little word for writing 
texting about okay. writing. Yeah. But I don't know what it is. But anyway, um, and, you know, she was talking about overwhelm and I was saying, and we take turns being overwhelmed and all that, but I was saying, you know, here's what you do, right? You, you, you break it down. Here's what's important to me about the notes I've gotten. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, here's what matters to me. Here's what resonates. And then everything else I'm not going to worry about. And then here are you know, the top five ways I'm going to address those things. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to do, right? You can't do everything. You, you, so you sort of start making, breaking it down and making lists and limiting it. Right. That's right. one. That's another tip. Okay. Make lists, break it down, limit it. Okay. So is that tip two or 1.A? No, no, it's tip two. Okay, tip, tip one tip is two. lower your expectations. Yeah, okay, so tip one is have realistic, realistic expectations. expectations. Tip two yeah. is take those expectations Really prioritize and like make make break and make them um, those those kind of accomplishable steps right where you know how, like the small thing that you do to begin like you right. know how to begin you know when something's actually done you know those yeah. kind of steps and then I'm gonna just take a random left turn here because that's what I do <laughs> and maybe that's tip three take a random left turn oh. well that might be tip four <laughs> tip three is really that. One of the things that happens is that we're not able to be in our hyper-focused, connected space when the day is extended and or when we don't have control over our schedule. And so what are the things that you can actually do in that space to feed yourself as a writer? So really notice the way it feels to, you know, be tired at the end of the day and take your kids for a walk really notice how it feels to like how does this fabric feel in your hand right there's a great opportunity for mindless not mindless mindfulness (laughs) or mindlessness yes but there's a great opportunity for mindfulness when you don't have this the same forced external pressures so Mm. and that mindfulness is really what's going to give you all the details you're going to need for whatever you're working on next. So you're saying wander mindfully. Yes. But honestly, it's like not even wander. It's like doing your day. I mean, there's this thing about, um, I remember, gosh, I wish I could remember the which book it was in, <laughs> but Thich Nhat Hanh was talking about how he was talking to this parent and the parent was glad to be having more time with their kid but was wondering when he would get time for himself and was able through talking to someone wiser than himself to come to the place where he realized the time with his kid was time for himself, mm. right? And, and so this notion of like doing the dishes to do the dishes, not to, um, you know, have a clean house, <laughs> which, which if you could, you know, because it just is never going to get there. Well, a, it's never going to get there, but B, especially if you're a writer, these are the things that will give that universality to mm-hmm. your work. It's going to be really noticing what it feels like to be in the world and to anchor your work in your own noticed moments. So that's my deep. tip three, yeah. That's a deep Angie Power. <laughs> I think that I don't I don't wanna notice. <laughs> I'm having this whole like little epiphanet. Epiphanet. I like that. It's a yes, tiny epiphany. It, but yeah, it's like everything. But um yeah. 
Because I'm thinking that's challenging. You know, there's a way in which being goal oriented or angry, which is similar to being goal oriented, mm-hmm. are those are ways that I avoid, you know, how does this feel? Right. And even the ways in which like it might feel comfortable or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's like it, it, okay, but then it's, you know, I don't know. Anyway, internal battles. Absolutely. Therapy. I don't know. It's that piece, though, about being curious. You know, I remember sitting with Nancy Bardicke. Bardicke. <laughs> she does. She teaches some... mindful birthing yeah. in Berkeley. Have some curiosity about pain. What? <laughs> I don't feel curious about pain. I don't feel curious about boredom. And yet, again, like one of the, in, when I was up at your camp, Right, yep, County Writers Camp. One of the things that you know is great about being a writer is you have the opportunity to take your life experiences and give them meaning, right? So for someone who's not a writer, washing the dishes to do the dishes is a different thing than it is for someone who's a writer, because that curiosity—how might I communicate the way my fingers bounce across a clean dish? Do you know what I mean? Do you know that feeling where you're, it's, it's a micro bounce, right? And it's like, and. How would you write that on the page? It's kind of an R, 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 and an E. <laughs> anyway, but, but you know that feeling, right? Once the grease is gone and you've rubbed your finger across it and it kind of bounces a little bit, mm-hmm. like a microscopic bounce as you rub against that smooth surface. But if you're not paying attention and you're listening to a book or you're... If a, if a dish, if a clean dish squeaks in a in sink forest. and nobody pays attention to it, does it exist? Does my sacrifice count? <laughs> so, yes. So that's what I mean. Is you get that level of detail. And I think there's a that's lot a of... a really good reminder. I mean, I, I keep thinking about how Anna Quinlan said the thing about, like, if I had wanted to sit on the ground playing board games, I wouldn't have had four children. Uh-huh. Right? And it's like, there's a way in which, like... Uh, I have never been totally wonderful at, at um, I mean, I was, I was great when I was a kid at wanting to do all those fun, imaginative kid mm-hmm. things. But mm-hmm. as an adult, I seem to be pouring my imagination into these novels. <laughs> and, um, Which is a great thing to do, and you do it well. Thank you. But um, anyway, so I think it's just, a, it's just a really good reminder to show up and be curious. Yeah. So those are my three tips for... It and- wasn't one of them mine. Well, there's our three tips for a <laughs> unstructured window of time. And, you know, I really wanted to keep it to three because you see these lists of like I, 20 can things you can you, you can even do. Re- repeat what they are? So number one is to set realistic expectations and, and to not set yourself up to failure in that respect, mm-hmm. right? So really make it a thing where it's like, oh, okay, this is something I want to do, not can, something can I'm not going to be a bad person uh, if I don't a, achieve. A friendly, like... um sort of codicil to that is, okay. is um, to celebrate then like even small accomplishments, Absolutely, right? So yeah. you're, you know, so you kind of have realistic expectations and then you're like, oh, I did something. Mm-hmm. I thought about it. I engaged with it. And that's like, and to acknowledge and celebrate that and maybe even send a text to somebody. Right. Like, and then you had tip two. I can't remember my tip. Do you? Your tip was to prioritize and to look oh, to at. to break it down. It's really about yeah. breaking it down yeah. into those small steps 
So that so, so it's kind but of it's, a, but it wasn't just that it was chunkability right. and it was like what? prioritizing. So, you, so don't do everything, do something. Right, because you have and, the top five, and then things. be very clear about what that something starts with, so that right. you kind of just have a way in because it can sometimes. So be you a, actually had like four tips in your <laughs> second tip, which was prioritize, chunk it down, starting ritual. And probably celebrate. So those are four <laughs> tips inside your tip two. My tip three was to use the time where you can't write to really pay attention to the world around you and to participate in it as a curious observer because that's going to feed your work anyway. You know what? An exercise that people talk about all the time but that I only really started doing, I think, this year is uh, consciously is the eavesdropping exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people say, oh, go sit in a cafe and let's right, sort of right. write down what people are saying, dialogue. But when I always thought, well, dialogue isn't really people talking. and da, da, da. But I started when I was in San Francisco. To piss off? Like, what? what? <laughs> well, I just, I don't know. I never did it. I never did it. I, I don't know. And then I, and I studied dialogue on the page more and, you know, not my page, but other people's brilliant pages. But, um, and, you know, and then I listened to people talk, but more for content. Any, in any case, it's been really fascinating to listen to people talk and the rhythms and the ways people interrupt each other and the ways they circle around things. And sometimes I do it walking down the street in San Francisco, mm-hmm. right? So it's just really fun. And that's just another way where you might be, you might be, you're at the beach with the whole family and you're not going to pull out your manuscript, but you can do some eavesdropping. Right. So there's that, you know, family on the towels next to you. <laughs> with and that little clearly, dog. Clearly, we've got some trouble in paradise with those two. Not sure how much longer that relationship's going to last, but it's probably that little kid's fault. So... Maybe you're halfway to a novel. Right? Right. So. So, all right. It is time for... Steal This. Amateur Poets Borrow. Professional Poets Steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? Well, I have to say, um, our oldest, Leo, went to go see a film I was very excited to go see called The Biggest Little Farm. Went with you. Yeah, went with me. And... It was a really wonderful and engaging film, and I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, of course, at this point in your life, I don't know why, but I can't go in and not come out with a critique. So (laughs) there's still things that I would be like, oh, but it was really engaging, and it really looked at this notion of diversity. We have this sense of the importance of biological diversity in an ecosystem and that sort of thing. And it really explores over the course of a long period of time what happens when you are somewhat intentional about engaging with that. Mm. And so it's a really, I want to encourage everyone to go see it. I want to support it, absolutely. I want to support the family that's working on that farm. And um, I think one of the things that sometimes is hard is as writers we don't necessarily give ourselves the opportunity to be exposed to diversity in that way. In, in the way that, like, what it really posited was some of these things that are really, really hard also have a purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're looking at, uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're growing crops and they're raising animals and livestock. And so they're doing a traditional farm in this one way but in another way uh you know they're doing this you know instead of having three varieties of stone fruit they they plant 75 they have 200 Mm. acres right so it's a it's a very intentional engagement with 
biodiversity. And it's a very intentional look at how it takes a long, long time for systems to come back into balance when they've been so forced mm. into these non-natural monocultural processes. And I feel like, I guess what I want to take from that is sort of looking at, and this is going to sound so navel-gazy, but kind of like my own intellectual or aesthetic system, ecosystem. And what are the things that I totally make room for? What are the things that I say, these things are taking away from my ability mm. to do something else, right? Um, and so, you know, an example is like they have this, you know, they're, as soon as the plants get growing really well, so there's the stone fruit comes in in the first season that, it, that, that the stone fruit's really in, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, and it gets eaten by birds, right? And so then they're like, oh God, like, here's this pest. And so they keep looking at this thing that is, what is this pest? But each pest actually has a role. And if you stop fighting the pest, but find the role that, that it plays in the whole system, it becomes a source of food. It becomes a protector against other pets. It be, a pest. It becomes a, you know, it, so as you start increasing the diversity it becomes a stronger overall system so that things that look bad in a monocultural system suddenly have value in a much more complex system. I feel like this could be a fourth tip for summer <laughs> and survival. Right. So anyway, so yeah. So what I want to take away is that, that question. When I look at something that's frustrating me or it's like this is preventing me from doing the thing I want to do, is there a way that it actually has a purpose within a larger system? And that's my question. That's what I want to take away. That's awesome. Well, I am listening to the audiobook of Daisy Jones and the Six, mm -hmm. and I am also um, reading Educated by Tara Westover. So I'm so I have a little bit like I so I was mentioning to you earlier off mic that um, I love the audiobook of Daisy Jones mm -hmm. and the Six because the the novel is set up as a documentary as a series of interviews and you and it cuts between these voices sometimes one line and you know it slices back and forth and um and I just I mean actually just it makes me want to create a script basically for mm. a, a purely audio performance nice and um, and then the Tara Westover which I'm not in very far but it's like you ke I keep forgetting that it's a memoir because I'm engaging with it the way I do with, with story, with a, a novel, mm -hmm. because it feels like she's setting things up and the way they go is not the random way of life, but is the kind of story way of a really good novel where you don't know for sure what's going to happen, but, but it, when it happens, it's kind of building and illustrating. It's doing all this work that is meaning making. Mm -hmm. And so she's really doing an amazing job of that with the memoir, which of course involves how she does storytelling and selection. And um, I mean, just the voice I, there's, so, I don't even know all the ways yet, but it, it's such a good lesson in what is rich about meaning making in story that, it, that I think is especially hard to do 
in memoir, Mm -hmm. um, which as we've talked about before. So I don't know. I'm really excited to kind of keep learning from it and enjoying it. Excellent. All right. Well, until next week. Write. Don't write. Follow your, uh, follow our tips. Follow our tips. Take our (laughs) advice and enjoy.